Greetings, cyberspace, and welcome to episode 120 of the Double Density Podcast with your host, Brian and Angelo. Double Density, your home to tech tales and paranormal primers. Now, first things first, Angelo, I know that it's been two weeks since we last recorded, and I know you were super excited to talk about how um, the Apple Corporation has affected your life in a number of ways. You're super excited to do this. So uh, first things first, I'm going to let you have the floor so that you may uh, talk about what you need to talk so that we can move on to the other topics of the episode. So Angelo, without further ado. Uh, episode 120, though, is that significant somehow? Is 120 a significant number of some kind? No, It's a good number. It's a good round yeah. number. All right, perfect. Um, well, not that exciting, but I picked up a new iPhone 11, not for myself, but for my wife, who had an aging iPhone 6S. And uh, I was a surprise to her. She was uh, so surprised that she asked me to return it the next day. <laughs> So you also need to to, to sort of like uh, explain that this is also an anniversary gift. Yeah, uh, we celebrated our twelfth wedding anniversary. Hey, look at you guys. 12, 120. See, you just had a zero. There you go. Uh, that's the significance right there. So yeah, so she, you know, uh, we're uh, we're frugal people. We don't like to spend too much money on too many things. But I thought it was a fun little gift. And uh, she said, oh, I can't believe you spent $700 on that phone. And I said, yeah, $700. Let's go with that number. Uh, <laughs> as we know, iPhone 11s do not cost $700. But Where do you think she got the number from, by the way? I think she made a mistake with what is like the in-between phone. I think the uh, right. 10R is $700. If I'm not she wasn't mistaken. carrying the one properly? Yeah, maybe. Yeah, the one or the R. <laughs> and uh, she forgot sulfur X. Oof, that was a good one. Wow. You know what? I'll yeah. allow that though. Okay. Um, so the next morning I uh, was full and ready to return it. It was in the bag, that and its clear case. And uh, she said, you know what? Um, I feel bad having you return it. It was a nice gift. It was very thoughtful. Thank you. I'm going to keep it. So she so is, is the now... secret. Is the secret to your, to your marriage like she takes pity on the things that you do on a regular basis? Yeah, she's like, this is a gift you would like, not something I would like. But she, she but I, you know, it's something that's going to last, what, like another four or five years. So it's, it's for sure. So I, does I she feel, know about the world of emojis yet? Yes, we discovered that earlier this week. I, okay. I didn't even, I didn't know much about them because I didn't use them, but uh, they're startlingly accurate uh, how they portray your face when you do faces. It's pretty well done. And uh, we played around with that. The kids liked it. She kind of liked it. We had a good laugh. But yeah, so we so after a day of having the phone, um, not having opened it, I set it up. And uh, I always was nervous about doing transfers with iPhones. I used to set up my phone as new all the time. And the because when I set up my iPhone 6S all those years ago, the transfer went poorly. And it basically decided to screw up the resolution of several Apple apps where um, the resolution was that of the 5S on a 6S screen, didn't look very good. So uh, I reset the photos new and that sort of like threw me off wanting to do the iCloud backup and update. And I did it with my iPhone 8 and it sort of worked okay. And now they have this new thing called direct transfer. Have you heard of this, Brian? I have heard of it. I have not used it. I sound like a comedian. Have uh, peanuts on an airplane? Have you, have you heard of this thing, Brian? Have you heard of this, folks? Anyway, it's uh, it's pretty amazing. It works really well. It does a direct transfer without using iCloud at all um, until you get to the stage where it starts downloading apps from the cl- uh, not from the cloud, but directly from the app store. But it took, I think, less than half an hour, and that's including an update uh, on iOS. Okay, okay, that's not too bad. Uh, just to sort of close the loop on this, if you are a comedian, I would have gonged you out of existence, my friend. I'm not a very good comedian. Uh, but so speaking of cloud services, you want to talk about something that you love talking about, uh, which is the notion of storage, both physical and cloud based. And so you m- dropped Dropbox. Yes. But before uh, I wanted to talk, uh, before I talk about dropping Dropbox, I did also want to say that uh, we dropped the iPhone clear case. Uh, we I got it with a clear case because it's a nice green phone and we want to see the color. And um, FYI, the clear case from Apple is not very good at all. So this is a, sort of like a consumer protection report right here? Yeah, we bought it. We noticed uh, after she had put it on, it was full of fingerprints, but whatever, it's a clear case. And then the next morning we noticed a little bump on the outside where, you know, like, you know when like the molding of a plastic doesn't really set properly or whatever? Yeah. Um, so, okay, I'll take it off. I'll return and get a new one. As I take it off, it, it cracks. 
So I brought it back to the Apple store. They were very uh, understanding. And uh, I walked away with a white silicone case. Because So now her iPhone 11 sort of looks exactly like her iPhone 6S. To all my Canadians out there, this is like the adult version of Street Sense live and direct. Oh, wow. Street Sense with Jonathan? Yes. Yes, I remember that. Did you know they made hundreds of episodes during their initial run, my friend? I used to watch that diligently every Saturday, Saturday mornings, morning absolutely. on CBC. And um, that's uh, more than uh, three quarters of our listeners have no idea what we're talking about. <laughs> that is very true. Uh, but go ahead and look that up. Uh, a lot of people will be surprised to know that J-Rock from the Trailer Park Boys had a career long before becoming J-Rock, right? I have no idea what that is. Oh, well, anyways, uh, Street Sense, John Vision, Trailer Park Boys, uh, Mr. D on and upwards. Uh, cloud storage services, Angelo. Yes, so back to cloud storages after that quick little uh, public service announcement. Yeah, I got rid of Dropbox from my Mac because I haven't really been using it and uh, it's getting more and more annoying. People have been talking about this. Lots of people have been saying this and I started noticing how it's sort of being irritating and uh, I removed it from my Mac, restarted my Mac and I noticed that I have, as a nerd, I have iStat menus and I can check and see how much memory is being used and the memory pressure on my Mac. Usually used to be at like 16 to 18% after I started uh, the Mac and now it starts at like 8 to 11%. So uh, I'm min-maxing my memory uh, service here. I also uh, tend to run activity monitor all the time when I have my laptop open so I understand how you're feeling. Okay, and so iStat menus is basically accessing activity. Exactly, yeah. You know, but uh, in a pretty and easy uh, way, it's in the menu bar at the top. But uh, yeah, so I got rid of it, and I'm using, um, dare I say, iCloud Drive more and more. That's fine. You're paying for it. It's okay. It works fine. It's totally all right. Had you been paying for Dropbox? No, no, no. I, I had about, um, well, I, I say I had, I still have it. I can access it through the web and I still have the apps on my phone and on my iPad, but I think I have six gigs. Okay. Not a lot, but I never what do you really deci- How do you decide what goes onto Dropbox? Dropbox is basically documents. Okay. Yeah, All your important more. official government documents? Not really, no. Uh, although Dropbox is actually pretty secure. Uh, but for example, like my, remember when we uh, did the experiment of downloading the Facebook data we had? Yes. I put it in Dropbox. Okay, there we go. Um, are there any, are there any photos of us in there? I think it's, it's important to have. Of us? No, there are no, no photos. Okay. There's old I, photos, but not, not I demand, us. I demand one Dropbox photo. Okay. Maybe. <laughs> so Angela, I went to a wedding last weekend. You did? I did. There were a lot of phones in attendance. Um, the surprising thing. <laughs> giant uh, phones walking uh, yeah. around. Well, okay. So uh, best, very quickly. Beautiful Sunday cases. Very quickly, I, I sat, um, so my wife was the maid of honor, or in the bridal party, and uh, we're sitting there. I'm second row. I look over to my right, and mother of the bride right in front row has a gigantic, uh, I think it was an iPad, I was a little too far to see, recording the entire thing. Just well, she's gorgeous. In. No, thankfully, I don't think she did. Um, but at the reception, I noticed that there were a lot of phones out and about, and a lot of original SEs, including someone at my table, had not only the same phone as me, but the same case as me. Oh, wow. Did you guys take a selfie together with the phones? We almost did. I, I sparked a conversation. I said, I know this is the most random thing you're going to hear all day, but I think we might be phone twins. And she agreed. And my wife was like, oh, you eyes are phone twins. Your phones are soulmates. <laughs> yes, uh, exactly. What's the, so what, is the, uh, what are the uh, specifications here? Black iPhone SE? Yeah, exactly. With a, uh, a, a Vabids or Wavids, um, uh, like a pretty tough case. A tough case. Yeah. Mine has a more wear on it than hers, obviously, because I've had mine from, for, uh, three years at this point. She's only had her for six months, but, uh, yeah. Six months? An yeah. iPhone SE? I know. That's weird. She said it was her first smartphone, too. First smartphone? Is she 12? No, no. She just enjoyed the uh, comforts of a flip phone, which I understand. Uh, I now that I'm being bombarded nonstop by uh, messages and flags and things that I keep turning off. Well, I am being bombarded by messages from my carrier because uh, I recently made the mistake been, of. Uh, no, I didn't make any mistake. I I had contacted them to find out if well, it's that's that's the to whole get point. It. You yeah. made the mistake of contacting them. Yeah. Well, basically, I wanted to know if it'd be cheaper to buy an iPhone through them. Um, no longer the case. I've always bought an iPhone through my carrier. It was always cheaper to do it that way. Even over two-year contracts, I would save money at the end of the day. And in this case, my calculations came to the iPhone costing me about $300 more after two years. Yeah, absolutely. And that's the way things are now in Canada. Yeah. So uh, my wife kept her very inexpensive $35 plan and I kept my relatively inexpensive $55 plan. 
And you're going to keep uh, moving onwards and upwards with your phone choices for now because she has an 11. You're comfortable with what you have for now. Very comfortable, yeah. Um, I So uh, I got to play around with Face ID, although it doesn't recognize my face. But, good. Um, <laughs> yeah, very good. Uh, it's it's cool. She likes it. It, it works okay. I, I sort of like Touch ID a lot, but... Is there a joke to be made here that you might be the equivalent of a Hong Kong protester? I don't know what that means. <laughs> <laughs> to anyone who does uh, double underscore dead city on Twitter, let me know that you're uh, current and reading the news. So essentially what people are doing is that they are using various um, uh, uh, objects to create shade and light on their faces in order to evade facial recognition against the Hong Kong government because they're currently protests going on. Oh, I see. So I see. yeah, that's why I was making a joke that you're unrecognizable, but that's oh. uh, neither here nor there. Let us go back in time. My friend, let us go back to the halcyon days of the early 1990s. Shall we please? So this I want to talk what about the show's all about yeah, old stuff. Um, so I recently discovered that Radio Shack had a proprietary uh, console uh, in the early '90s, a CD-ROM console called the Tandy Memorex Visual Interactive System, or the VIS. See, I feel like I knew this, but I don't think I did. I, I remember their Tandy computers. Remember when uh, games were um, IBM compatible, and what are they called? IBM compatible. IBM Incompatibles and Tandy or whatever. Yes. So we had a Tandy in our home. Really? A Tandy 386, yeah. Wow. I know. I, 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 know. I had a ColecoVision Atom. Yeah, but you leveled up way before I did with this, right? So the uh, Tandy Memorex Visual Interactive System was introduced in 1992, exclusively sold at Radio Shack. So Memorex and Radio Shack were both owned by Tandy at the time. Um, and it was kind of like a, an, like a, a multimedia kind of console that not only was it supposed to play games, but you were able to sort of like uh, use it as a mini computer. Did it play the amazing CDI games uh, that Nintendo put out? No. So the funny thing about that is that it's kind of modeled after, like, it's a crappy ripoff of the CDI pretty much, right? So it's <laughs> it had a very limited games library. Um, they had, like, a golf one from what I was able to find, not much else. Um, the big sticking point, of course, is that it was retailing for about 700 bucks. So in today's money, about uh, $1,250 uh, USD. Now... Uh, to be a crappy version of the CDI is pretty amazing. Yes. No, it, it was ridiculous. Like it was um, a CD-ROM running on a 286 in 1992. Think about that for a sec. So how did you come across this? Like what made you bring this up? I had seen a random YouTube video uh, from a while back and I started digging around. And I found this kind of interesting in that like I never really heard of this and I thought that was cool. And you can actually find um, so something interesting that Radio Shack did is that they mailed out uh, like promo VHS tapes to people that signed up for um, alerts for this kind of thing. Huh. I remember getting a VHS tape from Nintendo about the upcoming uh, Donkey Kong Country game. Oh, yeah. I remember. Uh, I see those all the time out in the wild. And it's um, there's a video of it on YouTube. It is so 90s. It is. It, it is. It almost it, it hurts to watch. So uh, this ran something called Modular Windows, which was a modified version of Windows 3.1. Window, yeah, Windows CE. Wasn't... Wasn't there like a weird modified version of Windows on the Dreamcast? Although I guess this is an earlier version of it. What, yeah, like the web browser, I think only, right? Not the whole OS. No, I think the Dreamcast OS was of some sort of modified Windows thing. Please hold. You are correct. It was running an optimized version of Windows CE with DirectX support. See, I, I kind of remember there you that. Go. Yeah, I remember the Windows CD, uh, the CD-ROM that came with the Dreamcast. The Dreamcast, uh, let's pour one out for it. Great little system. <laughs> hey, it celebrated its 20th anniversary uh, last month, right? Nine, yeah, nine, wasn't nine, there nine. something on GameSack, if I'm not mistaken? Oh, there's a bunch of stuff. I mean, a bunch of, of different uh, channels have done um, a bunch of things about the fact that it's 20 years old. I watched the GameSack's entire... the channel I watch. Right, of course. The only channel you watch. No, I watch a few other... Uh, about video games. Uh, so, like retro games. So, YouTube now is basically a uh, a machine that gets retro game videos into my eyeballs, music videos into my eyeballs, and uh, magic videos into my eyeballs. <laughs> and, oh, so, and F1 videos. Pretty much everything directly hooked up, directly hooked up into your veins. Yeah, I I like YouTube a lot. I'm glad I pay the money to not have those horrible, horrible ads. I don't even remember what it looks like with ads anymore. I do. I don't mind it. Um, to finish things off about the VIS, because you clearly don't want to talk about this. I do. It's interesting. Uh, it sold about eleven thousand units. Um, and there's like an amusing blog. If you head over to the Wikipedia article at the bottom, there is a link to a, a blog post from a former Radio Shack employee who kind of gives um, some info. So basically every store was supposed to get uh, a show model as well as a model to sell, but there were not enough to go around. So there's usually uh, a choice of either trying to sell the floor model or having to order 
a VIS um, from the warehouse and seeing how long it took to show up. It was just, it was not good. It was behind its time while it was coming out. This was a thing back in the day where there was a lot of shortage of hardware. It doesn't happen as much. Do you remember like the launch of the PS2? How much of a disaster the, soft, the hardware shortage was for that? I sure do. I worked in a in a place that sold it. It was a mess. I remember I, I my name was the first on the pre-order list because I worked there. So hey, I put myself on the list. And uh, my boss had the balls to ask me if I wanted to sell one to one of the customers. I'm like, no, <laughs> this like I'm not getting any discount on this. I'm a customer too, so no, thank you. You realize that might be a fireable offense in uh, today's environment. Really? I mean, going against your boss's wishes. Yeah, well, I didn't care. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. I didn't realize I was dealing with such a rubble here. Um, let us talk. Let us keep talking about OSs, shall we? Please. It's in the news. So Mac OS is actually something I want to talk about. So the Catalina update is uh, becoming a big problem because of the death of iTunes, right? So um, uh, Apple has decided to break it up into multiple apps, right? So you got music, you have videos and books, I think is the other one, right? So you have podcasts, which as you know, because we have a podcast, um, music, uh, video, and um, uh, maybe books. I don't know. <laughs> you know no, I don't I don't remember. Books. books is um, something. And it also, the, the interface where you would connect your iPhone to iTunes is now basically in the Finder. Right. So uh, see you later, uh, iTunes, right? Yeah, well, so many people were hoping this was going to happen, but apparently uh, not everybody is hoping this was going to happen. No, I know. So what happens is that one of the indirect things is that uh, in uh, sunsetting iTunes, a lot of DJs uh, are kind of in trouble. And I found this very interesting because of the fact that you used to be able to export your iTunes library as an XML file that could be read by um, uh, DJ software. Yeah, that's actually really useful. And uh, the thing is, is I'm hoping, and this is the case with most professionals that use Macs on a daily basis for their work, is never update right away. So, like, so that's never. the thing is that Apple has literally come out and said, if you're a DJ, uh, do not update to the newest build. Do not do this until we have a, a, a proper fix in place. What happened uh, with macOS Catalina is that it's also breaking, well, not breaking because Apple's been warning about this for years, um, that 32-bit apps no longer work as well. So I have that a few apps that if I update to Catalina won't work. Luckily, they're not like mission-critical apps. One is basically an app to reprogram my uh, my Logitech Harmony remote. Right. But it's it's from like 2011, and they don't really update the software anyway anymore. And basically, once uh, our current TV breaks, it'll we'll probably just use the remote that came with the TV because we no longer have like a million different things that need a remote. Yeah, I agree with that. I mean, the 32-bit thing is a bit bothersome for a lot of people. And if you want to do yourself a favor, um, we're going to link to the Verge article all about this in the show notes. But also, the comments mostly largely surround, uh, you know, what is a true DJ, which <laughs> I laughed about. Yes. Um, um, and then they also make mention of the 32-bit thing there, too. Something that would be critical to you is that your version of a garage band that you use to edit this podcast when you edit the podcast uh, won't work either. Exactly. Give me classic garage band or give me death, my friend. Might have to upgrade to Logic Pro. It's not going to happen. It's it's not going to happen. Um, switching gears, a couple of more things we want to talk about this uh, in, in this section, Angelo, for episode 120. One of the things is you use Instagram on a regular basis, right? You're not on there daily necessarily? No, I use, but I use it from time to time. I, I do enjoy it. Okay, so if you end up going under the activity um, uh, uh, tab on your app, right? So the little heart thing? Yeah. You'll notice that uh, there used to be a split. It used to be following and activity, right? So on the following tab, you used to be able to see what your friends were liking, right? Oh, yeah, I remember that. So that is gone now, Angelo. Unfortunately, uh, you can no longer spy on your friends. Angelo, good news, though. You can be horny on main, and no one will know about those butt pictures that you're liking. Yeah, like, who does that? Seriously. Oh, like, okay, so uh, uh, a friend of the show, Cecily, and I um, have this person that we went to university with. And uh, in the mornings, uh, he would like probably like 10 or 12 like uh, uh, pretty lady photos. Oh, that's so weird. And so we would take screenshots and send them back and forth to each other as we laughed. Uh, because this was a regular occurrence. I'd seen some weird stuff, too. It, I thought it was a good way to find uh, new accounts for some of my hobbies, like um, music and uh, comic books. Uh, I'm sad to see it go. Magic. I'm, you know, and magic, exactly. Um, you know, you can be horny on main though. You can like whatever you want now. Uh, nothing is here to stop you, my friend. So follow all those, or don't even follow, but like all of the shady pictures that you love, Angelo. Love all of the uh, pictures that you see in front of you. No one's you know what's going funny to know. is I, I would do the opposite. So like whenever Instagram would, in my uh, 
you know, in my whatever, like when you click on the magnifying glass, right, it, it gives you stuff you might like. Yes. And whenever there were like pictures of butts or whatever, like, because I, I do follow like fitness people and stuff. So it thinks I like uh, people in like skimpy outfits. I'm like, no, thank you. And I basically uh, remove it. So are you afraid of butts? Is this what we're learning today? <laughs> yes, not, not a, horrified not a butt of boy. butts. That is fine. Uh, not a surprise. Angel, I voted this week. You voted for what? I voted in our federal elections here in Canada. I advanced Already? poll, but I advanced so quickly that the ballots haven't been finalized or printed up yet. So I had to uh, present myself to your place of work because you can vote in uh, post-secondary institutions very early on. And what happens is that someone from Elections Canada will take your ID, take your voter card, figure out what district you're in, hand you your candidates, and you have to go and write down your candidate of choice and the and political you, party. Who did you write in? Uh, myself, of course. Robert Bigelow? Yeah, <laughs> Big Bobby Bigelow for Prime Minister of Canada. Perfect. I just thought it was a very interesting low-tech kind of way. And um, what happens is then is that you um, fill out your ballot. You know, literally you fill it up by writing your thing down. You put it inside of one envelope. You then put it inside of a larger envelope that you sign yourself attesting to the fact that this is you. And then that gets sent off to your proper polling station uh, the day of actual voting, uh, you know, uh, next Monday. Not this Monday, but the one following. You know what it sounds like to me? It sounds like those votes are not going to get counted because people are going to think they're fake. Yeah, I know. That's what my coworker <laughs> was saying. He's very worried about the integrity of my vote, and I applaud him for that. Good for him. Uh, but yeah, it was a very interesting low-tech kind of way of doing things, right? I know that we've, uh, as a, you know, the Western Hemisphere and uh, sort of explored the idea of electronic voting, um, you know, and it's all perils and pitfalls. Yeah, I, I, it would be wonderful to just, you know, sit in front of your computer and uh, vote for somebody. Like, they let you do your taxes from your house. Yeah. I mean, like, the thing is, like, those Diebold machines, the, the voting machines are very, very hackable, right? So... Yeah, so what? it's probably safer to vote from your home. <laughs> what I mean, though, is that like these companies would probably also be put in charge of uh, you know facilitating this. Oh, you think? Yeah, oh, yeah. No, of what, course. No. no, put us in charge. Of course. You, uh, to end things put, off. Uh, you, Facebook in charge. They're, they're there we go. Them. Perfect. Why not? All the fake ads you can want, all of the you know people you never want to talk to or talk about. But you know what I do want to talk about, Brian? I know it's coming, and I'm going to let you do this. So uh, let's, yeah, talk let's talk about let's, uh, tires. Let's talk about transportation. Why not? We're here. No, I, I brought this up to you today. I, I was annoyed that I have to pay like over $800 for winter tires, which is like a super uh, unexciting purchase for me because I don't really get very excited about tires, but uh, I chose some good ones, I guess, and uh, I'll be putting new winter tires on my car this week. So no tires, no car, no car, no transportation, no transportation. You get stuck home, which in theory, I think you actually wouldn't mind in some ways. But also it means that where you live out in your part of the world, um, a lot of the easy, like, could you bike to a grocery store easily? It would take me a while. It would be very uncomfortable considering I have to buy for a family of four. Right. What I'm saying is like you and your wife both go with big bags. And the children stay home alone to fend for themselves. No, no, they got sidecars. Oh, sidecars. I haven't seen that. Uh, no, it would not be feasible. And uh, something I mentioned to you today is you you can't have a Suburban without uh, a Subaru. <laughs> Which I thought was a horrible dad pun and I allowed it. Yeah. Uh, whereas I, the urbanite uh, in all of this, can walk over to all of my stores pretty easily. I don't necessarily need a car. I could even walk to work if I want, something that you definitely cannot do. You could walk to work? Yeah. I, I walk home from work all the time. It takes me about 40 minutes. Wow. Uh, it would take me longer than 40 minutes to walk home from work. You know what? Let's do Could you do me a test? Let's do this. Okay. So I want you to go ahead and open up Google Maps. Okay. The Google Maps. Hold on. Yeah. Tell me how long it's going to take. Eight hours and 32 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> you know what, my friend? Uh, if you start now, you might get there in time for uh, work tomorrow morning. Um, Angela, I feel like it's time to walk on over to the paranormal side of things. How does that sound to you? Let's do it. Welcome back to Double Density. As always, we're switching gears from tech to the paranormal. So uh, for this episode, we kind of have one uh, main topic that we like to talk about. There's going to be a lot of uh, digressions and a lot of sort of like fun twists and turns. And that is the idea of uh, belief in the paranormal analogous to um, religious belief or just any kind of like spiritual belief, right? I guess would be the best way to sort of um, throw out our thesis for this episode. You mentioned digressions and twists and turns. If somebody's listening to this podcast, they listen to it knowing full well that we digress and twist and turn when it comes, especially to the paranormal segment. We're kind of like when you decide to walk home, right? Lots of twists and turns, lots of stops, lots of, you know, uh, pivoting. Eight hours of it. I need, <laughs> uh, I need a lot podcasts. of podcasts. 
Um, so the first article I want to talk about is uh, something from uh, the British Psychological Society's Research Digest, and it's about how people who believe in conspiracy theories tend to, um, and, and paranormal things too, uh, are more likely to see uh, illusory patterns, like patterns that aren't necessarily there, right? Yeah, and it, it makes sense, right? Because uh, in a conspiracy theory, you're connecting dots. And uh, all I could picture when I read this article and talking about patterns and things is a good old-fashioned conspiracy board. Yeah, it's sort of like that infamous or famous uh, meme of Charlie from It's Always Sunny with the uh, the, yes. the the board and the pins and everything and the red, uh, um, uh, what would that be? Yeah, yeah, like, it's a, it's a it's a conspiracy board. Yes. Do you see patterns in things? Sometimes I do, and I always have to question the origin of these patterns, right? I've I've become this sort of person that doesn't let go as much as I used to in terms of like being able to draw these diverse connections into things because I was kind of thinking about that and like uh, do you remember, you know, uh, uh going to university being in an undergrad? I do. And having to write papers where you were drawing a lot of these connections, right? So you kind of had to wizard some up sometimes I found, like, especially like if you didn't really care about the topic at hand, you kind of had to figure out um, some supporting evidence and sort of uh, make things up as you went along a lot of the time. Yeah. You explained my entire degree. <laughs> there you go. So I do feel uh, on some level, uh, we've all practiced this in some way or another, um, just not necessarily with uh, specifically like conspiracy theories and uh, belief in the paranormal, as well as, uh, you know, uh, 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 patterns in the sky or patterns in things that we've seen, right? I sometimes catch myself doing the opposite, where I try to like unnaturally not see patterns because I feel like it's going to take me into conspiracy territory. So you kind of have to let your... It's hard because of the way you're wired, you're always going to end up seeing it one way or another. And you're not going to have, you're not going to be able to be unbiased about this. I think it's hard to uh, not have a bias in one way or another. Have you seen a movie by the man who killed the uh, Batman uh, franchise, uh, Joel Schumacher? He uh, made the number 23 with Jim Carrey, maybe uh, that movie, 10 or 12 yeah. years ago. Yeah. yeah where he that. had a, an obscure book about the number 23 and he kept seeing that everywhere and to kind of, uh, you know, uh, started his descent into madness and things. Yes. I, I remember that movie. As, like, I actually liked it. I rented it. And uh, not 10 or 12 years ago, it was probably like 20 years ago. But no, this came out. Hold on a sec. No, it's not that long ago, my friend. The power of the internet is going to exonerate me. The 2007. There you go. Film. So okay. 10, 12 years ago. Okay. Yeah. So good job on the dating there. I, uh, I, I was, uh, I thought it would have been older. Like the, the reason I say that is I tend to uh, underestimate things now. Like, so I'm, oh I'm yeah, that, that album your... came out last year and it's like 25 years old. I'm learning things about the way you presume things. Interesting. Yeah. The new Pearl Jab album. Uh, <laughs> Vitology. <laughs> yeah, right. Out now at all record retailers. Uh, but anyways, I found the, the, the digest, uh, article really interesting because of the fact that like it does highlight the idea of, uh, you know, and we've talked about the idea of like searching for patterns where they don't exist because that is at the core of, uh, a paranormal and conspiracy belief, right? Because the that, thing is yeah. that like the mind loves a good answer. Well, even like we talked about, uh, in the last episode where you see you something in the sky and you automatically think it's a UFO because you're not quite sure what it is, where, I do the opposite and I just try to place it somewhere. And if I don't know what it is, I'm like, well, it's not definitely not aliens. It's probably just something I'm not quite catching on to. Right. So uh, to you, and this kind of talks about the next article I want to talk about from time magazine called why smart people still believe in conspiracy theories. Uh, just just call me dumb. Uh, no, not at all. Okay. okay. Perfect. No, what I'm trying to, to, to sort of underscore here, Angelo, uh, my friend who is reading too much into the conversation we're having is that, uh, uh, sometimes, uh, you know, uh, uh, no matter how, uh, you apply rational thinking to certain things, um, you as a human being get in the way of your own thinking. Yes. And, um, I know you, you're going to get annoyed, but, uh, I, I have been watching a lot of, uh, magic lectures. So Angela, this is what I've realized about you in researching this topic a lot. I feel like your interest in magic is kind of like no uh, mystery pun intended. I feel like uh, your uh, desire to understand and sort of like be able to reproduce a lot of these things um, and ties well into your skepticism. And I know that um, uh, people who are interested in magic illusions are uh, by nature very skeptical due to the fact of how they, they approach things, right? So I feel like um, in all this, I better understand your uh, way of thinking through your hobby. Yeah, like, so I haven't watched it yet. I haven't purchased it yet, but I'm waiting for there to be a, like, sale. Because, like, at 30 bucks, a little expensive, but there's a lecture by Steve Shaw, better known as Banachek. Have you heard of him? The great Banachek, yes. Yes, and he is part of that study that, uh, like, 
James Randi like hired him as a kid in his teens, I think early twenties, to be taken in by scientists and be studied as a psychic, even though he was tricking them, right? And now he's a very well-known mentalist, in fact, probably one of the the top ones in the world. And he has a lecture explaining how a lot of his stuff works. And I'm really curious to see that and watch that. And he's very clear, like he was on the Joe Rogan experience. Remember that? No. Or was he on the Joe Rogan experience or was he on the uh, Joe Rogan questions everything? I don't know. Anyway, he was... He was probably on both and he's probably on his podcast and on his show. But on the show, he was very clear to tell Joe that everything he's doing is a trick and he has no special powers at all. And he's always clear about that. And it's incredible what he can do and make you think, oh my God, he's reading my mind. And that's where I come from on the side of not believing in any psychics. And the thing is, is that some of these psychics are not lying. They actually think and they're deluding themselves into thinking that what they're doing is real. I mean, there's things like cold reading, which we've talked about before, right? The idea that um, uh, human beings respond to certain stimulus, as well as uh, using, you know, uh, common sense in order to sort of discard um, unwanted things until you reach a conclusion that is uh, plausible to the person in front of you. Yeah, and Banachek's an amazing cold reader. That's one. So, of the things uh, my question well. to you is: uh, How do you define a mentalist? Like you just you just said that Banachek is a mentalist. What is a mentalist? It's somebody who works with psychology and does magic more of the mind and less with props and things like that. They'll use props for sure, but it's all a mentalist in a way, although somebody like Banachek doesn't do this, but it, it stems from somebody who seems to have actual special powers and is not right. using like sleight of hand or anything like that. It's it's almost eerie in a way where they can actually read your seem to read your mind. But the good mentalists will tell you that they're 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 fooling you. Exactly. So a mentalist is a mind reader versus an illusionist who uses the space in front of you and objects and other things in order to show you something that is physically impossible. Yeah. For example, like David Copperfield is not a mentalist. He's a stage illusionist, probably one of the best. I do, yeah, I do believe that, um, you know, all this goes kind of hand in hand with a, your own belief system, whether or not it is spiritual or religious. It is, uh, the basis by which you sort of observe the world around you. Yes, exactly. And, um, that's one of the reasons I gravitate towards learning about how magic and mentalism and cold reading and uh, psychics, how all that stuff works. The, um, I've mentioned it before, but one of my favorite, things that James Randi did was when he went into a classroom and gave everybody the same horoscope and everybody felt that it spoke to them directly. And then when they found out that everybody had the same one, they were kind of surprised. Well, that is just how the mind works, my friend. And I guess that's the thing what a mentalist does is he understands how um, humans tend to perceive things and then sort of uh, uses that to their advantage, right? There, there's still some stuff though that I, and one of the reasons I want to watch that lecture is he explains how he does something called, uh, um, like it's, a, it's like a touch where he touches somebody on the shoulder and the person in front who's blindfolded feels it on their shoulder. I have no idea how that's done. And that's really amazing to watch. And I'm sure you've seen those types of performances. Yeah. There was, uh, there've been a few on Penn and Teller Fool Us and stuff like that. And, um, yeah, I always find that stuff super interesting. I'm not somebody that I would ever be able to do mentalism or anything like that, but I just find it interesting. I'm, uh, like I'm not somebody who's going to be doing magic tricks for people. It's just for me to like understand how it works. I find it super interesting. Yeah, I agree with you. It's interesting too that it's um, like a religious ceremony. A lot of this um, sort of like when you're a religious or a, a magician, like you are sort of um, uh, pontificating in a way almost. Yeah, I find pontificating has some sort of uh, negative connotation though. Sure. Why don't we just say like, um, it is a performative act in that, in that case then like the idea of like, like holding a ceremony, you know, when you go to Sunday mass versus, um, um, someone who does a magic set, right? It's kind of the same sort of idea, um, globally. Yes. Except one's for entertainment and one is taken quite seriously. <laughs> uh, which is which my friend? I don't know. <laughs> uh, no, I, 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 um, I think both have value. Let's put it that way. For sure. Uh, I did enjoy the, uh, I don't know if he was a pastor or what, at your church, at your church. At my church? At, at your wedding. He was he was quite entertaining. Oh, the uh, the minister. The minister. Yeah, the officiant. The officiant. He's was he, is he like a, a, a registered minister or whatever the, so whatever he used the term to be, is? He used to be uh, like a, a, a minister and now he's just like an officiant who does events. Well, he was great and he sort of reminded me of Michael Buffer. Yeah, I could see that a bit. Yeah, Brian was great. We we met with a bunch and he was You're by far, Brian. like- I, but he was also Brian. Oh my God. How confusing I know, was that? I know. 
No, he was amazing. And I'm really glad that we decided to go with him. Uh, that's kind of the nice thing when you decide to throw a ceremony in a ceremony space, you get to, um, you know, pick the particulars and, uh, our officiant was definitely one of those, um, people and we met with him beforehand. It was such a joy and a pleasure to deal with him. Yeah. And you um, chose him over former Pope Benedict. Yes, exactly. It was, it was very heated, very, very heated. Um, sort of pivoting though, uh, let us talk about this scientific American article by Sander Vander Linden. Say that twice, uh, or five times. Sander Vander Linden from 2015 entitled, How Come Some People Believe in the Paranormal? Question mark. So the subtitle is Those Who Favor Bigfoot, UFOs, and Ghosts Share a Thinking Style. And I found this sort of interesting because it sort of bleeds into, uh, once again, um, your belief in uh, illusions and magic. And the first line is, of course, I loved magic shows. Yes, I I laughed out loud literally when I read that. I said, oh, Brian's going to like this article. So I think that's where what I was getting towards before, and I'm building towards this thesis, right? The the idea of illusions uh, and magic have a sort of worldview, right? So magical thinking. Well, Well, how do you define magical thinking exactly, Brian? Encyclopedia Britannica defines magical thinking that the belief that one's ideas, thoughts, actions, words, or use of symbols can influence the course of events in the material world. So essentially, the secret and how many people bought that because of Oprah? Millions, my friend. And how many times did it work? Millions of times. <laughs> I wish I had a coffee. And then you make a coffee and you had one. So I feel like magical thinking robs, um, uh, in some ways, uh, a, the person of their sense of agency and that they belong as part of their um, surroundings, right? So you gave the example of the coffee and you got up and made a coffee, right? Yeah. Well, so here, let's try Let's try a magical thinking experiment. Uh, name, I'm gonna, I have a deck of cards in front of me. Sure. You, you name a card, and I'm going to just cut the deck somewhere, and I will not lie. I'll tell you if I cut to that card. 14 of spades. Can you name a real card? <laughs> uh, six of diamonds. I cut to the ace of spades, of all things. And let's see if the six of diamonds was on top. Seven of clubs on top. And jack of clubs in the bottom so no the uh your card did not come up sorry there you go i did not but i did not put out enough honest force into the world right okay let's try it again one more time okay give me give me uh uh give me the king of diamonds let's do that i cut the ace of spades again my goodness (laughs) hold on trick deck you got a trick deck going oh well i got to the king of spades how many turns did it take you just one all right fair enough king of diamonds was the other one Three three hearts. Sorry. So, so hey, the, I got to the, the interesting. The interesting thing too is that like um, magical thinking has a certain kind of basis in a lot of um, psychological um, uh, conditions, right? Including uh, things like generalized anxiety disorder, as well as um, certain cases of OCD. And OCD and superstition are tied into each other, which I find very interesting because superstition is a sort of way of magical thinking in some ways. Yeah, and and OCD stems from worrying that if you don't follow a certain sequence of events, things will go wrong. Correct. Exactly. That, yeah. That's part, I mean, one of the broadly symptoms. speaking, and there are other yeah. kind of like variations. But let's go with that definition in order to sort of get comfortable with this. Yeah, and um, there is uh, some offense to be taken by people who say, "Oh, I'm a bit OCD in this," and they don't realize that an actual case of OCD can be debilitating. Absolutely. I, um, I know of a friend of a friend who, um, has a lot of issues with that. And I, um, I feel for them. It's tough because it's not of your making, right? Yeah. I mean, there are people who can't go to bed until they check the stove like a certain amount of times or their doors. And I, I will freely admit I have a bit of that. Every time I leave the house, I triple check to see if my wallet's in my bag because I don't know, one time, like 10 years ago, I forgot it. Right. So therefore, every single time now you must um, sort of uh, check in and make sure that all things are there. So uh, I mean, uh, magical thinking also presumes a sort of a causal link between yourself and your experiences and the outside world too, right? Exactly. It's it's part of, it, it becomes part of your life, really. Right. So I think that like in order to sort of understand that and then sort of apply it to um, someone who believes uh, in ghosts and UFOs and Bigfoots without being rational about it. And I think there's a difference to be made between the two, right? Because I feel like there is dogmatic belief, right? So the idea that you unabashedly believe in the existence of Bigfoot, despite um, uh, there being scant evidence presented to you, same thing with like something like UFOs or ghosts or succubi or anything like that, right? So the idea of um, uh, belief um, taking that leap, right? Almost uh, is very similar in the same way that you approach um, a sort of like faith-based dogma. Yeah, and so I there's another article you linked me to, and it was from The Atlantic, uh, Why Do People Believe in Ghosts? It was from yes. 2014. Uh, and that ties into the tech segment as well, because the author, uh, Tiffany Wen mentions that she had taken a picture with her iPhone, 
and uh, there was like a man in the background of the picture and it's a creepy looking photo. There's also another photo uh, that a woman took with also an iPhone of a child in Ethiopia and there's like a weird ghost superimposed on the child. Now both pictures, if you look at them, it to me it seems like artifacts either by light or something went wrong with the phone or whatever, but it doesn't look like it's a completely different image that's superimposed on there. It's uh, especially the child. It, it's a double image of the child, basically. Right. And the one of the ghost sort of looks like the reverse of the man in the front. Yeah, I agree with that. Uh, it's really, it, it really looks like it's, it's a reverse. It's like uh, you see his, it's a bald-ish man. It's a man who's bald in the front and he's holding on to something. And in the actual picture, it's, I think her boyfriend holding off, holding on to her dog. And if you look at the picture, I don't know why anybody's questioning this. It really looks like it's just a uh, a trick of the light or something. So yeah, I do agree. Reading into that, it's you, you're reading into it too much. And I, I'm sure. I wonder if this problem will be solved by the new uh, deep fusion mode in uh, the iPhones 11. <laughs> I like the idea of applying a patch to a uh, an issue time immortal, right? Because I feel like we live in a time where it is both. Uh, uh, it's never been harder or easier to fool someone. You're right because people have access to so much stuff. Uh, go, going back to magic tricks and stuff, if if you do a trick for somebody and they really want to know how it's done, they're just going to go on YouTube and find out how it's done. Exactly, and but the thing is, like a lot of people don't want to, right? Because I do feel like there is an option paralysis in terms of like how to explore these different kinds of things. Yeah, and if if you look into like how uh, the magic community and stuff, a lot of especially the older guard of of magic really gets upset about YouTube. Uh, there are some, there's some actually really good YouTube magicians. The problem is there's a lot of garbage ones and they're poorly doing tricks and exposing stuff they're not supposed to be exposing. Yeah. Uh, coming back to the Scientific American article, I wanted to just quickly read a quote from that. Uh, it says, you may ask, why kill the magic? Not everything needs to be explained by science. Yet, misinformation of this kind can be harmful. For example, in a recent study, I found that merely exposing people to a two-minute conspiracy video clip significantly decreases acceptance of science, civic engagement, and overall pro-social inclinations. I call this the conspiracy effect and uh, this goes back to why there was so much backlash with youtube when as soon as you watch one conspiracy video it takes you down a horrible horrible rabbit hole of conspiracy i also feel like this explains a lot of the um the rise of the newer flat earth movement too right if you watch that documentary we talked about um what is it called uh, beyond the curve behind yes. the curve beyond or is it beyond or behind Ooh. either or it's a bernstein bears thing yeah, that's uh, alternate universe. and Behind the curve. Behind the curve, okay. They clearly all said they came across this on YouTube, pretty much every single person that was in that video. So let me ask you this in that case, right? So uh, dogmatic faith, uh, uh, religiously and um, into the paranormal, right? Uh, is there harm in that, do you think? If you keep it to yourself, no harm at all. But as soon as you start... Um, I don't want to say hurting people, but um, removing the uh, intellectual nature of people, like taking away uh, their curiosity about how actual things work and right. just explaining it all the way to uh, magic and things that aren't actually real, that becomes a problem. I agree. I think that like, uh, you know, things like questioning one's uh, religious faith and also at the same time questioning one's uh, belief in something is healthy, right? Because it, it creates stronger bonds. So if you do believe in something, then in that case, you become stronger in your belief when presented with challenges. Yeah, like intellectual curiosity is, you can kind of pin it down to like certain people as well. Uh, for example, I've heard from a lot of magicians, they hate performing for engineers. <laughs> they really hate it because well, yeah, an engineer wants to know exactly what you did of and course. look for it. And they're not necessarily difficult to fool. You'll fool them, but then they're going to hound you and f- want to figure out exactly how it's done. My, my daughter is like that, actually. It's, it, it's, it's almost frustrating to show her a magic trick. I, I fooled her twice in the last couple of days uh, with two different tricks, and uh, she was annoyed. So to sort of cap things off, I want to talk about a New York Times piece from 2017 called Don't Believe in God, Maybe You'll Try UFOs, which kind of is the perfect title for everything we do here on Double <laughs> Destiny. I feel like this, uh, you know, like uh, everyone had the Avengers Endgame joke of like, uh, you know, like this may be the greatest crossover of all time. But I feel like this may be the cro- greatest crossover of all of the different things that we tend to talk about here on the show, both on the tech side as well as the paranormal side of things. 
For sure. Um, I mentioned this to you when we were setting up this episode. I said, you, you basically picked like my favorite paranormal topic. The good news with that though, is that after this, there is a moratorium on magic talk on the paranormal section for at least a month. That's fine. I, I'm not one who wants to talk about magic. Oh, oh really? Oh, that's very interesting. I'll, uh, I'll, uh, remind myself of that uh, when I talk to you tomorrow about these things. All right, perfect. <laughs> um, I kind of I want I would like to read a paragraph um, from this piece, and it's an opinion piece. It's a Sunday. <laughs> I thought you were going to say you wanted to read a parable. Well, I mean, we could do that too if you want. Okay. I'm fine. Parable with that. of God and the UFO. Right. <laughs> a great many atheists and agnostics, of course, do not think UFOs exist. I'm not suggesting that if you reject traditional religious belief, you will necessarily find yourself believing in alien visitors. But because belief about UFOs and aliens do not explicitly invoke the supernatural in our couch and scientific and technological jargon, they may be more palatable to those who reject the metaphysics of more traditional religious systems. So I find it interesting that they're substituting religious belief for um, a belief in UFOs because the article also highlights the uh, dropping number of people who attend traditional uh, religious institutions on a regular basis and the rise in um, pseudoscientific belief in things like UFOs and Bigfoots. Sorry, big feats. I apologize. A friend of the show, Zach Saichi, uh, always describes himself as an atheist with benefits. And uh, <laughs> he definitely believes in UFOs and uh, is completely in on uh, on looking into this whole topic. And um, he's a perfect example of this, right? Like he, you know, he's not somebody who's a very religious person, but really is interested in the UFO topic and sees some merit to what people have been talking about. And I, I see, I understand that point of view. Yeah, I definitely can see that too. And I think that you're, you're talking about the idea of like just the, the idea of questioning, right? And intelligently questioning the things around you, I think is very important. Um, and I find it very interesting when I apply it through the lens of like my own belief system in terms of like UFOs, right? Like I joke that all in 2019, Brian believes that all of these things exist. But whenever I read something, I now have to question its merits and sort of like break down what is being told to me and through who and by what. Yeah. Um, well, you're, you're coming over to my side, Brian. Uh, yeah, I'm still like a three though, like on the double density scale of belief from one to four. And uh, yeah, and I'm like a one, right? You're there. a one. I can't remember flirting, the... Uh, flirting yeah. with a 1.5. Okay, yeah, that's true. Uh, I'm very close to Carl Sagan. A one was like a Carl Sagan, yeah, and a four was like a Whitley Strieber. Yeah, and like a zero is a Philip class. Your uh, friend and mine, Philip J. Class, uh, out there lying and, uh, you know, being uh, a scoundrel, uh, RIP. Uh, with that being said, though, I find that the last paragraph of the New York Times piece has um, a bit of an interesting kind of question that we have yet to debate here. So I'm just going to read it to you, and I kind of want you to think about this. The Western world is, in theory, becoming increasingly secular, but the religious mind remains active. The question now is, how can society satisfactorily meet people's religious and spiritual needs? It's a good question. It's tough um, though, because like it, it is, you know, like whether you want to believe in, in something that is uh, more traditionally faith-based or something that, you know, um, uh, is more esoteric, you know, for lack of a better word, there exists the same kind of yearning almost like to, to belong and to understand the order of things and to also be able to sort of, uh, look at these different topics and sort of, um, provide answers for them because they are in a lot of cases missing blanks, whether it be, um, you know, a religious kind of thing or like a belief in, in Bigfoot and how they exist. As I read this article, I couldn't help but think back to uh, an old episode of South Park where in the future, nobody has any religion, but people fight over different types of sciences. Yes. Yeah. That's a really good point, actually. So no matter what's going to happen, people are going to disagree on it. You're just saying we're just doing a substitution math here. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I definitely can see that. I think that, like the idea to, to exist is a question, right? I think that's kind of like where I'm at now, whether it be to question um, the saucers in our sky, to question the people living in our woods, to question um, uh, the nature of religious faith. Uh, you know, it's kind of all of the same. It, it comes from the same part of, of the brain and the mind and the heart and the soul. Wow. That's uh, really touching, Brian. Thank you. I've been working on this for weeks. I think that's a good way to end the show. <laughs> I think so too. It's this was a fascinating topic. I really, really enjoyed doing this, and I'd love to hear other people's thoughts on the idea of of belief, just the nature of belief itself, right? So, if you want to go ahead, you can tweet at us or send us DMs, double underscore density. You can hit us up on uh, G- Gmail. You can email us at double density podcast gmail dot com. You could also visit double density dot net. Fill out the uh, the contact form under the uh, contact tab. Let us know uh, what you think. Head on over to double density dot net too to check out the new web player. If that's how you listen to podcasts, if not, you can always subscribe to us on all of the uh, pretty much every uh, podcast streaming platform, Overcast, Apple, all the Android ones, Stitcher, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. And um, 
we haven't much had much correspondence lately, so if you write us an email, uh, we'll probably uh, talk about it on the show. There's a 100% chance we're going to talk about it on the show. So, Angelo, <laughs> next episode, episode 121, uh, a streak is broken, my friend. I, for the first time, will not be hosting an episode of Double Dynasty as I'm away on my honeymoon, uh, and you will be uh, filling in somehow, some way. I'm very excited to see how that goes. I have no idea what you have planned. It's be uh, a disaster. I look. No, you. you <laughs> I, don't, I don't even know how to. Like, uh, how do, do I say greeting cyberspace? Do I yes. not? You can also just take one from an old episode. I'll just like patch words you made yes, all together. Yes, perfect. Um, episode I, one I, twenty. I have one. a dogmatic faith in you that you will be able to come through, my friend. I do. I have no worries about this. Yeah, it'll probably be more tech centric. That's fine. That's my thing. But that's fine. Uh, yeah, I, uh, I'm sure I'll do an okay job. I'm I'm more than excited to to see where you go. But anyways, all of that enough, uh, I'm smart being enough. said, we are uh, maintaining our biweekly schedule uh, for the next little while as we both uh, have um, things going on. Right? Yeah, I uh, I'm uh, slowly leaving the country to become a wizard. Oh, that's great. I also want to quickly uh, shout out one of the reasons why I'm so busy. So a uh, friend of mine um, had asked me to help him with some of the scripting for a game of his called Crew 167, The Grand Block Odyssey. And so the first chapter is out on early access on Steam as of today. So you head over to Steam. We will see that. And this is also on the Tandy. um, The 2 yeah. yeah. The VIS. Yeah, Yeah, the uh, the Radio Shack VIS. And that's why you brought it up in the show. Well, exactly. I was just planting the seeds early on in order to be able to uh, hand uh, this off to someone else. Some good 3D hardware acceleration of that thing. Yeah, exactly. Anyways, um, all that uh, to sort of keep in mind. Uh, yeah, I don't know. Let's, uh, let's keep on keeping on, right, my friend? Sounds good. And with that, we will end episode 120 of the Double Density Podcast. Tune in next week as I disappear and Angelo uh, maintains order over the vast Double Density Kingdom. See you soon, my friend. It'll be all about magic. <laughs>